Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers, Those officers appointed over me, appointed over me according to regulations, regulations and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. I want to say, you know, out there to my listeners and, you know, if you ever want to be on the show, just look me up, American Vet podcast.com always willing to take some guests if you have a story out there no matter what you did or didn't do in service i want to hear your story um so just go to my website americanvetpodcast.com click book it now and uh get yourself a recording slot for this episode i'm sitting down with gary gary served from 2006 to 2016 in the army he's been in two different commands and he's been on three deployments and his MOS was a paratrooper, and now he's in marketing manager. How are you doing today, Gary? Hey, I'm not bad. How about yourself? Living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all we can do. We're, we're, all, we're all in a weird dream right now, it seems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd like to find out whose dream I'm actually in, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's an odd one out there right now. I, the, the mood's all weird, you know? Yeah, you can't go anywhere or do anything, so you know everybody's... Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of Kyles and Karens out there, but... <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, Gary, uh, you know, who were you before before you joined the army? What made you uh, decide you're going to go in the army? Whew, man, uh, well, that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> whenever uh, I was a kid, you know, grew up, uh, I was raised by my aunt and uncle. Parents were, you know, had issues, so I was raised by them. They adopted me. I was a pastor's kid for uh, you know about a little while in my childhood, and you know, had a lot of really good memories from that. You know, a lot of people have kind of jacked up memories of, you know, church environments, but our church was actually pretty cool. And I had a lot of good friends that I still talk to this day. Um, but after that, moved to Oklahoma for a year, uh, cause my uncle had work to do. And then I decided to move home, moved in with my dad, uh, became a rowdy high school teenager, uh, you know, cut class, barely, you know, making good grades and stuff. But I, I ended up graduating, didn't really have a direction, uh, ended up moving to Tennessee, which is actually where I joined the army out of. Um, after my aunt and uncle moved back there and, uh, I, I got a promotion at work the same day that I went to the recruiting station and I had my ASVAB score and all that stuff already ready. And basically I was at a fork in the roads yep. and I, and I'll be honest, the thing that, that kind of really made me join the army was band of brothers. Yep. That's <laughs> a good movie. The TV, TV, the TV series. series. Yeah. So my, now my cousin Brian, he was in, <coughs> excuse me, he was in the initial invasion, um, and he like helped kept, catch Uday and stuff like that. He was a ranger sniper. He was at Fort Benning wow. for a long time. Did a bunch of really cool stuff, and he actually is uh, hiking the well. He already hiked the Appalachian Trail once. Now he's doing like a, a section hike through, and he's living living in national parks now, basically out of his backpack. Uh, his his handle is Adventure with Caboose. If you want to follow him, he's a pretty. Uh, Pretty cool guy. He's living a, a different story than most right now. But yep. uh, he he helped kind of inspire me. He was just getting out 
of the military and I had just finished watching all the band of brothers and I was like, I want to be an airborne <laughs> ranger. And so, yeah, yeah. And so I went to the recruiting station and they were like, all right, you know, here's all the stuff. My cousin Brian was with me the first day. Okay. And they were like, well, we don't, we don't have any, uh, airborne ranger slots they're like we can get you airborne but there's just no ranger slots and i and my cousin brian was like fine we're gonna walk across the hall to the marines and like started walking over there and they're like all right all right, all right. come back tomorrow blah 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 and we, you know we'll pick your job and get it so he didn't go with me the second day and he told me before i went he goes get anything but infantry he yep. goes he goes i did infantry the majority of the time i wish i would have did something different blah, blah blah and i was like all right cool and I went and then I picked my MOS, which was 13 Bravo. And I, he's like, right. he's like, hey, man, what did you pick? And I was like, 13 Bravo. He's like, no, anything but that. And I was like, why? I was like, why? And he was like, you're a gun bunny. And I was like, you said no infantry. You know? So then I was like, well, you know, screw me, right? And uh, But it didn't turn out to be horrible. I mean, Fort still suck. Uh, yep. To me, to this day, it's still the butthole of Army bases. There's just nothing out there. Um, but had good, had made some good friends and I wasn't even artillery for that long. I, like I said, I reclassed two years in. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that big of a flub, but, uh, I got, I, I'm still friends with a lot of those infantry dudes. Uh, shout out to Andrew Chapitan. Uh, he's, he's like 15 <laughs> plus in, 15 plus years in there or something like that. Wow. He's going the long haul. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, uh, so what, so you go to boot camp and everything else. All right. And so, yeah. You know, that's cool that you had him to kind of fall back on, you know, being a sniper and everything else. So he, you know, he's yeah, you know, definitely helped you out there. But so now you get done with boot camp and then you go into like auto, um, field artillery training right after that or? No, so they do OSIT. Um, so it was, you know, 14 weeks training down there at Fort Sill. You did, you know, basic training and mm -hmm. it, it sucked though because, you know, we did our rock march to finish our basic and we're like, yeah, cool. We're soldiers now. It's going to be easier because we're going to be an AIT. And, uh, we, the next day happened and nothing really changed. And then they, they kept going and we're like, what the hell? We were like, it's supposed to get easier, you know? But, you know, it, it wasn't that hard, you know, looking right. back. But at that time, you know, as a private, you're like, this is, this sucks. <laughs> what did I get myself into here? <laughs> yeah. So, and then besides that, um, so we did OSIT, you do your, uh, MOS training. And then, uh, I was an airborne holdover for two weeks at Fort Sill. So there was a handful of us out of the entire, uh, battery that was going airborne. And so we stayed back with the first sergeant. He was like, first sergeant, was, I forget his name. He was, uh, probably about 55 years old or 60 or getting, getting up there, you know? Yeah. And he was like, Oh, for you airborne guys, it's going to be your life every day. And he would take us on like six mile runs and stuff, you know, and we're like, Oh man, come on. This sucks. <laughs> but, but luckily we only did that for about two weeks and then, uh, got sent down to Fort Benning and started, started airborne school like a week or so after that. So just a lot of sitting around and wait. Yeah. Hurry <laughs> up and wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, give me a second. Hold on. Give me one second. I'm sorry. We're good. No, you're good. Hold on one second. My daughter's crying. Just give me a second. Uh-oh. Yeah, take yep. care of that. I, I can just uh, continue to talk. <laughs> so, everybody. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. Maybe I could just push my handles. You know, you can find me on uh, uh, GaryBear86 on most platforms. Uh, like I said, if I look up my buddy, uh, my cousin Brian, uh, at Adventure with Caboose. And uh, if you're interested in hiking, rock climbing, kind of like a national park sort of a thing, uh, 
he's doing cool things out there. You know, and this is what it's like. You know, married guy with a podcast, you know, you got to have hobbies, but at the same time, sometimes you just got to run in there. You got to gotta handle the dad business. Man, I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. I, I, I was I was just talking at rambling nonsense whenever you were gone to fill in space. <laughs> and then I was like, uh, I was like, hey, it's like, hey, that's what it's like sometimes when you're a dad, you know, you got a side hobby like a podcast. Sometimes you got to just jump in and do dad stuff. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My dog, she, I don't know, she was born with seizures or something like that. She was having a seizure, so my kid was freaking out. So, but she came oh, out man. of it, so we're good. That's good. <laughs> that's gonna be tough with an animal for sure we just got a cat <laughs> well, well, a little asshole cat i mean he tries to act cute but really he's a jerk yeah yeah i had one uh too and he'd had bubby when i'm having my coffee in the morning it was real annoying <laughs> <laughs> so where were we <clears throat> um so yeah you know so i was gonna try to talk so what talk to me about like training and how how they teach you guys how to do uh field artillery because i've seen a lot of youtube videos and there's a lot of yeah, dumb yeah, yeah. things that people do. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, yeah, I mean, you can. You're in the army long enough. You always see that you know the dumb new private just doing some backwards stuff that you're like, are they even using their brain right now? You know, <laughs> and you know, of course, the same stuff happens in uh, artillery, and it's uh, it, it's they split you up into different groups. So depending on what uh, post you're supposed to go to, um, they'll either put you in heavy artillery or. Uh, light artillery like 119ers and um, like the heavy artillery they got the paladins and stuff like that um, like I said I've been out of it for a while but the yeah. the 119er was the smallest I think piece of artillery that we got I mean besides like mortars if you want to consider that artillery but yeah. um, it was it was all right you know we got to I got to do a lot of training missions uh, at Fort Bragg before my first deployment, you know, pushing out artillery out the back airplanes. And, you know, you're sitting there all strapped up, ready to go in the bird. And you have the, you know, artillery piece on the sled that, you know, flies out the back. And then you do another lap around and then you jump in after it and you just try not to land on top of it. And once you find it on the drop zone, you got to take your knife and night vision. You're cutting away all the lashings and trying to put it in position. And the faster you get the gun up and ready to shoot is really what you're graded on. Okay. Um, accuracy, of course, too, but the accuracy is really up to the fisters and whoever's calling for fire, you know, downrange. Right. Um, but so, so speed to get it up and speed to tear it down are really kind of like the biggest things and making sure you're within regulations. And like if you fire outside of a grid coordinates because, you know, somebody fat thumbed a number or any number of reasons, yep. uh, dudes can get fired. Like they get fired. Sometimes they can get put in jail and it gets, yeah. uh, it's intense. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad I didn't, uh, make it that far in artillery before MOS. Cause, uh, it's a lot of responsibility. And I seen, I seen grown men cry that, you know, had been in the army 15 plus years that basically their NCOERs, you know, jacked from then on and they're pretty much done. Right. And I'm like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I can see why you would get out of that and become a paratrooper. Yeah, well, I was a paratrooper then, and okay. so I was a paratrooper for both artillery and 19 Delta, and that was a funny thing. Uh, whenever I went to re-enlist uh, in Iraq, the retention sergeant, he was like, well, hey, what do you want? And I was like, well, bonus would be nice, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And then, and then I was like, he goes, where do you want to go? Like, do you have any preference? I said, actually, because I was just married, had a, you know, my wife was pregnant and all this stuff, and I'm like, um, I'd rather just stay in not only the 82nd, but 2nd Brigade. Right. And they were like, they were like, okay. And, uh, so they got that in there. So the day that I had my PCS papers, 
I walked uh, like 300 meters over to another building and I was like, I'm reporting for duty. Like I didn't have to move. I didn't have to even get in my car. You know what I mean? Perfect. I just walked over there and yeah, it, uh, it worked out pretty good. Cause I still got to, I still got to hang out and see a lot of the old guys I was in my old unit with, but you know, I was just right across the street. Yep. Uh, so it wasn't, wasn't too bad of a shift. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So I kind of, so I, I was asking kind of like some of my listeners and everything else on the, uh, my Facebook group that I run for the podcast okay. page. And, you know, I was asking, you know, like, what is, uh, you know, one question that you would want me to ask this guy? I'm recording with paratrooper. And, uh, one of the questions actually came from my grandfather. He's old school army. Yes. Um, he, uh, he goes, yeah. Ask that blooming idiot why he would jump out of a perfectly good plane. (laughs) (laughs) And I have an answer for that. So uh, believe it or not, I haven't heard that one. Uh, That's not the first time I've heard that one. Right. Uh, My answer to that is uh, the Air Force does not make a perfectly good airplane. Uh, Those things (laughs) are always breaking down. Mm -hmm. I was in in one, I mean, a couple times when they had issues, but I was in one one time that one of the doors wouldn't open that we were supposed to jump out of. So there's actually a procedure we have for that, for like emergencies in the airplane. And basically you just have to take your static line off that and you intermingle with the other group. And then you have to go out like even faster on that side. And uh, that only happened one time, but I, I would rather be in a plane with a parachute than uh, without one. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I believe. Yeah, (laughs) that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so your first time that you jumped out of an airplane, what was, uh, you know, what was kind of like going through your mind and like, Stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure that there's like intense training right beforehand that happens. Uh, yeah, to, to an extent, yeah. So, I mean, mainly airborne school for Benning is meant to like, you know, weed out the next level of wusses that, you know, might be trying to go through and whatnot. And, and it's really not that hard. Right. I mean, a lot of people that you would consider to be tough or anything, you know, go through airborne school. And I see, you know, see them all over Fort Bragg and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, man, that guy. But it, it, all it is is just, I mean, some people just handle the fact of jumping out of an airplane differently, you know, right. I'm not a huge fan of heights. Like if I was standing on scaffolding on the edge of a skyscraper, I mean, that's enough to make anyone's legs kind of, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. freak out a little bit. But for some reason in an airplane, when you're jumping and your chute opens and you're just dangling there in the air, it's not as bad. I don't know why it doesn't seem as bad, but it's just not. Right. Uh, but yeah, the, the week, it was a uh, two weeks. You have a uh, ground week, tower week, and then jump week. In okay. airborne school and ground week is kind of just learning the motions, learning pre-jump and all this other kind of stuff on, you know, how to do the PLF so you land right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go to tower week, which you, you jump out of a 34 foot tower, or if you're lucky enough, you get to do the big tower, which, uh, I actually never did. Uh, the one where your shoot comes off of it. It was like, I don't know if it was too windy that day or what, but they were just like, nah, we're skipping it. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and you run everywhere. So, you run from the barracks to chow. Like once you're inside the, the area with the airborne tab, yep. if you're inside that area, only people that have airborne wings can walk there. So if you're running from the barracks to chow, from chow to the barracks, from to any training site in the area, you're, you're running there. Yep. And I went in June of 2006 and I don't know if you've been to Fort Benning in the summer, nope. um, but it sucks a lot. <laughs> and basically you'll, you'll take a shower in the morning, you'll get ready. You're standing out in formation and you're intermingled with Navy, a couple Navy dudes, a couple Marines, Air Force guys, whoever is going through jump school. And you, you're just soaked in sweat before you even step off from formation. Right now on jump days, you actually run from the barracks all the way to the airfield. 
and then you jump. And then uh, some days you might have to jump two to three times, depending on how many they can get in. There's weather problems and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, you do a bit of training before you jump. And then the day you do jump, I mean, it's just drilled in your head. Do not be a jump, a jump refusal. They're yep. like, if you are, and there's a legality that goes behind it because you're actually wasting army money, time, and stuff like that if you do right. refuse. So, you know, they'll tell you, you know, sit at the rear of the plane. You'll be escorted back by a jump master. You have to, you have to sit on your hands and they say they give you a lawful order not to touch any item of your equipment. And when you get back and you land, it's going to be technically expect, inspected by a jump master in a, in a rigor. And if something is found wrong, then you made the right decision and nothing bad happens. Right. If nothing, if nothing is found wrong, then you, you can face UCMJ or something like that. So you're, you're highly encouraged to jump. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I, I didn't witness, I don't think a jump refusal except one time when I was at Fort Bragg. And it was probably like my 20th jump or something like that. I don't remember. But some guy, he, was, he said it was just super hot because sometimes you'd have to sit in gear for like three, four hours right. before you even got to jump. Dudes have to pee. Dudes piss their pants or puke in. They're just tired of being in the parachute, you know. Yep. And one guy got up there and he was saying he he was saying he was passing out and he might might have been, but a lot of guys think he was just kind of overacting. Yep. Uh, but they sat him down and I, I don't know whatever came of it, but uh, yeah, yeah. The first time you jump, you just kind of. Watch everybody else do it, unless you're the number one jumper, and you're like, nah, "I got to, I got to do this." <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's crazy. And I remember what I tell people is the first time I jump, you're supposed to look up, of course, to make sure your parachute's fully deployed. Yeah. And I, you know, I grabbed my risers and I looked up, and I don't know if it was the adrenaline or what, but everything was just hazy. I saw, I saw a hazy green circle above me, and I was like, "All right, it's open, I guess." <laughs> and uh, I was at the end of my. They call it a stick or a chalk, and I was at the end of it. Well, uh, Sicily, is it Sicily? No, Friar drop zone on uh, Fort Benning. I was near the end of it, and I was coming down 10 feet away from these massive trees at the end of the tree line, yep. and I missed them. And I was like, oh, I started laughing at myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I almost hit those trees. I was like, that was crazy. And yep. then uh, and then you have to jump five more times or four more times after that in order to you know actually earn your wings, but uh, it wasn't too bad. Okay. Wasn't too bad. No, probably this is probably a stupid question, but is, are you able to actually turn your parachute, like uh, you know, recreational parachutes? Uh, with the T ten deltas that we jumped, those are the the traditional more round shoots or whatever with just the risers. They have little straps, I guess, that you can grab, but really, it's not going to do much for those type of parachutes. You really have to pull hard and down on those risers to really move that fast at all. Right now, there is the. Uh, uh, dash dash elevens maybe or I mean it's been a while right right it, but it's 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 almost like a T ten delta except where they have a couple gores in the back of the chute so when that air comes up in it it's propelled out which gives you a little bit of forward thrust okay so now with with that forward thrust there's two little wooden dongles that you can grab and you have a little bit more control because you have that forward thrust yeah but now if you if you crank a bolt down. You'll, you'll, it squirts the air out the back of your chute. So you're just, you know, speeding along. (laughs) So the, I only got to jump those, I think twice. And, uh, one of the days I did that, we had this idiot that was in my unit. He was just a jackass. He would be in the air just doing dumb shit, you know? And, uh, I, I jumped and I was like, cool. And you're supposed to turn your chute into the wind. So it slows down your, your speed because it's coming out the back of your chute. So you want it to kind of cancel and you can have a super soft landing with those, uh, 
I saw this jackass turn with the wind, pull them both down, and he is just skyrocketing. <laughs> and I hear him yelling, and I see him go. I was like, oh, my God. And uh, he hits the ground, and he does, like, four somersaults. And I just was laughing my ass off, and I, I landed real soft. I could have could have did a standing landing, but I, you're yeah. supposed to fall or something. Uh, but, yeah, yeah you, you can control him a little bit. Uh, and I think there's another type of shoot after that. Well, I got to jump the newest shoots, the T-11s. They're the square ones that you see now if you look yeah. up recent airborne videos. And uh, they weigh more, but you have, like, a lot softer of a landing. So, but yeah, with weight, I mean, ounces equal pounds, you know, you don't want that uh, if you don't have to. (laughs) So I got to ask you now, because that question I asked you is kind of leading up to this one. Have you ever like jumped out the back of a plane and just looked at the, you know, where you jumped off to and go, yep, I'm fucked. (laughs) I'm either going to land in these trees or this guy's back pool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it was, it was in the winter. I remember it was a cold jump. Yep. And we jumped and you know, I was coming down. It was a, the, the ceiling of the clouds was pretty low. So whenever I jumped, I was still, I was kind of in the clouds. My chute opened and you could see like it right above my chute. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. And yep. then, you know, sometimes you get a good uh, visual as you're coming down. And, um, I looked down and I saw this like brown blob and I couldn't really tell what it was from, cause sometimes you jump at 1200 feet or more yep. and, or 800, 800, you have enough time to, Make sure your shoot open, and then you're hitting the ground not too long after that. But I think yeah. this was a 1,200 foot jump. And I looked down, and I was like, "Man, what is that below me?" And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was like, "That's a tree." You know, so <laughs> I, I pull my risers and I try to start, um, you know, uh, uh, what do they call it? Slipping away is what they call it. Yeah. Uh, and so I was slipping away, and I and I missed the top of the trees, and it was a big tree, but the branches were all dead. It was like oh. in the middle of the drop zone. It wasn't Sicily. I, I forget which one it was on Fort Bragg, but. I missed it and I was like, dang, that was close. And then, uh, well, the next bird was coming overhead with the next group of jumpers. Yep. And so I'm packing, I'm packing my chute, you know, and I was looking up and I, you know, I'm watching everybody jump out because it's fun to watch, you know, especially when it's over your head watching, yeah. you know, an airplane poop out little soldiers, you know, and I'm watching it and I'm like, okay. And I see this guy right about the same position that I was. <laughs> and he started coming down over the tree. So I'm like, dude, I'm like, dude, tree. That's and not- his arms were, his arms were at his side. It looked like he was knocked out, but he wasn't. His head was looking forward. He wasn't controlling his risers like he was supposed to. And he was just, and I was like, dude, look down. And right before he hit, he looked down, he goes, shit. And he crashes through like six branches. And I thought his shoe was going to get caught, but it didn't. Yep. And, and he hits the ground and I look at him. I'm like, dude, what the hell? He goes, I didn't know what that was. And I was like, well, now you do, man. You know? <laughs> so yeah, I had, a, I had a couple of close calls. Um, I actually had a mid altitude entanglement with a Lieutenant that I, oh, wow. What happened? Oh yeah. yeah. So it was dark. It was right as it just turned night. So there was a little bit of loom in the sky and my, I went in between his risers. So he was a little bit below me. Mm-hmm. I went in his risers and I went back out. So I was tangled up in his risers. So he was like, he was like, Oh crap. Oh crap. I'm yelling at him. He's like, do I pull my reserve? I said, no, don't <laughs> pull your reserve. And so I was comparing my rate of descent with my fellow jumpers and we weren't falling too fast and two shoots, you know, as long as one doesn't collapse, you're good. Yep. And, uh, and I was like, I'm going to try to get out of this. So I was like, I think I have time. So I'm grabbing the riser and I'm sliding my body around it. And I actually disconnect it because when you have two shoots fighting for air, yep. like one goes and the other go. And if you hit at, before it catches again, I mean, you can really mess yourself up. So luckily I pushed away and my shoot one 
the, the lieutenants did not, and he ended up breaking his ankle when he landed. Oh. Uh, I, I, yeah, I could hear that after he was yelling. <laughs> so I, I went and I went and got help for him, but that was just a that was a sketchy one. And yeah, I had, I had a couple. I only knocked myself out once, um, and I did get amnesia, legit amnesia. It's on my military records. I forgot two weeks of my life prior. <laughs> wow. um, knocked myself out on the drop zone. They said a gust of wind caught my chute and whipped my head off the ground, and. Uh, they said I was talking to everybody and everything. I didn't come to until hours later. Wow. And then I kept asking my wife the same questions over and over. And she had to call the hospital and they're like, Oh, that's normal. And she's like, <laughs> he's, he, they're like, he sounds like 10 second Tom from like, uh, uh, 51st, uh, 51st date. <laughs> you ever seen that? Oh yeah. yeah so it, it really did jack me up for a while. Um, but, uh, I guess I recovered. I've always had a shitty memory. So who knows? Yeah. You know, change your socks. You're all set. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, it's uh, sketchy. I've seen a lot of people get hurt on jumps and usually it's like broken ankles, sprained ankles, knocking themselves out or something. But, uh, I don't think anybody died while I was on Fort Bragg. Usually, usually they have a death every couple of years up there for something or other, but. Uh, well, that's good. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, compared to how much they jump, that's, uh, that's actually not bad. I mean, right. in, in a, I think in, the, in a wartime situation, something, uh, if only 70% of the troops that jump survive the initial jump, then it's considered a success. Wow. Yeah. That's what I heard. I couldn't right. be wrong. It could be one of those military myth things that float around, but, uh, yep. yeah, I did. I do remember hearing that. <laughs> Jeez. So now do you pack your, your, your parachute up or is it like somebody else and you just got to hope they did it right? Yeah, so the riggers will do that. Now, the funny thing about riggers that I've heard, I, I wasn't a rigger or anything, and uh, paratroopers and riggers have a funny relationship. We like, we, we, we hate to love them or we love to hate them. I can't, I can't <laughs> put my finger on which one. But uh, so when they pack, they're only allowed to pack a certain number of shoots a day. I forget how many because they don't want them to become complacent or anything yep. like that. And also at any time, they can be forced to pack or jump the parachute they just packed. So, uh, randomly they can be packing shoots and their sergeant come over and be like, you know, privates are, you know, special so-and-so you are jumping that shoot this afternoon, grab it, blah, 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 put it over here. Yeah. And I, it, it keeps them, uh, honest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and you know what? That, I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah. with that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't pack a shoot for somebody else. You're not willing to jump yourself. I mean, I, I think right. that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, I did, I did four years in the Marine Corps and there's a lot of gear that I got and I was like, I don't trust that for a damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Marines, Marines, uh, from what I've seen too, uh, don't get the best equipment yeah. usually. <laughs> well, I had a first sergeant. He tell me one time, he, you know, with our flak jackets or whatever, he's like, "Did you go test your flak jacket yet?" I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you got to go shoot it up, see if it works. That's funny. And I'm like, that's I don't funny. know, first sergeant. I, I, I feel like that's not in a handbook somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got to do some training out at Camp Lejeune one year. We went there to shoot some uh, TOU Bravo missiles. Yep. And, uh, cause we had our, our gun sections. I mean, we were, we were mounted cav most of the time when we did our training. So it was like a lot of maneuvering tactics. Um, you know, as a truck commander for a while. So depending on the gun system you have on your vehicle, you know, you got to coordinate with your wingman that's also driving. Then you got the PL and the platoon sergeant that's in opposite trucks. And you do a lot of mounted land nav, um, a lot of terrain identification, classification stuff. So you can like, uh, well, like whenever I went to Haiti, uh, my scout unit actually got tasked with driving around Port-au-Prince post-earthquake to map out which roads were still usable and how big of vehicles could make it down it so we could pass it up the chain. So, you know, if they were trying to bring supplies out to a remote area of, right. of Haiti, they could get it there. So we actually got to do our scout job more 
in Haiti than we ever did in Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, did you have to do any type of jumping when you were in Iraq or anything like that? Or I wish. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that that's kind of like all all professions. You know, you you don't want to practice forever and and never get to play a game. You know right. what I mean? And uh, you know, in most paratroopers, I mean, if you're a paratrooper nowadays, even back then, for the past. I mean, I think the last jump was in like Grenada or something like that. No, well, there was a couple jumps units made in Iraq during the initial part of the war, but they were like bullshit jumps. Like, I think only one unit ever saw combat post jump when they did it. They were like seizing an airfield or something. But since then, there really hasn't been any combat jumps unless you're like Rangers, Special Forces, and all that. Right. And, uh, you know, to be an average airborne dude, you know, you're like, oh, I want that mustard staying on my wings because that's what it's called. You get a little gold star on your on your wings and i've seen a couple of dudes in the army that had mustard stains and i'm and usually they're like crusty old sergeant majors and shit yep. and you're like oh man that guy sees some shit you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah i wish i did something like that. that that sounds like a lot of fun i mean you know i always thought about it i was like fuck man you gotta pack up you know i'm not too confident on my own ability to do some stuff <laughs> so i'm like Hey, everybody, I, everybody has their limits, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so, no, I took the easier route, I guess you can say. I was like, yeah, let me just get the motor T and I'll just hide out inside this big tank. And, uh, <laughs> hey, well, hey, the, the, I, was, so, I was an army recruiter and I used to tell people, you know, they'd be like, oh, this looks cool. Or so-and-so, so-and-so said the army sucked. And then another guy's like, oh yeah, well, you know, this guy said it was awesome. And I was like, the army, your experience may vary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it depends on where you go, what you do, if you if you deploy, if you don't deploy, what's your MOS and who yep. you're with, and it, you know it, it can vary wildly. So I tell people, I'm like, especially whenever I was a recruiter, I'm like, well, what do you want for yep. one? And if they're like, I want to go the hardcore route and do all this stuff, and then I would have to do like a little mental self assessment on these <laughs> kids, and I was like, some of them, I was like, actually, this guy would probably kick ass, and yep. I, and I'll tell him honestly that. And I would tell their parents that. I'd be like, listen, if this is what he wants, I think actually he would compare well with a lot of the other guys he'll be up against yep. and uh, he'll probably stand out. But then some guys, I'm like, listen, dude. Like, I was like, you got a high GT score, get, you know, this cyber job or something like that that's going to, yep. you know, give you options later on. But then also, I had a couple of super smart dudes, two of them. One, one, one kid spoke three different languages and had an outstanding GT score and ASVAB score. And another kid, uh, he was just super smart, but they were both like fit and they both seemed focused. And I was like, I was like, these kids can do whatever they want. But I was like, they're really, and I was like, I think these kids will succeed after, even if they don't get some experience while they're in. Yep. And one of them ended up going EOD. And then the other one went, like got an interpreter position and like did a bunch of really cool stuff in Iraq. And nice. they came back and and I'm still friends with them to this day. They they write me on Facebook. I see them at places around town, and they're always like, "Hey, Sergeant Phipps, you know, I'm you know really uh you know I'm happy that you you put me in. You know, he's like, you know, I had some good experiences and I got good life experience, and and now I'm you know I'm glad I'm out. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, well, that's good, you know, because you know my recruiter kind of sucked. He didn't really care. But yeah. then again, it was also uh, it was the high point of the war in like 2007 or six. Yep. And they were like ramping up everything. So they yep. were just trying to get people in the door because recruiting was like pretty low then. Like people were committing suicide because they couldn't meet mission and like all this stuff. So I, I guess I understand why my recruiter was kind of like, get you in. Get, like I literally <laughs> shipped out 
the day that I signed up Meps, I shipped out like two days later. Jesus. And I was just, I was just gone. I was like, <laughs> all right, let's, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, you got me beat. I was uh, two weeks from the time I talked to the recruiter until I was in Paris Island. It was wow. like two weeks. And, uh, yeah, they'll get, you, they'll get you there quick, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's like towards the end of a month when they need the, need the numbers. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, so, I, I mean, I know, you know, having uh, the relative there as, a, as an Army Ranger, but did you ever think about being any other branch, or were you just kind of dead set Army? Um, I never thought Navy. Uh, I never thought Air Force. Um. I thought Marines, like I said, for a little bit, just, you know, because they, they got good, you know, esprit de corps and good tradition and all that kind of stuff. And awesome my grandpa uniforms. was, yeah, no, yeah, and I will give you that. Yeah, the dress <laughs> uniforms are dope as hell. I still, I still like the traditional World War II, World War II style army greens. Yep. I like those. I thought those looked good. And uh, I guess the army's thinking about going back to the pink and tans or whatever they call them, like back in that day. Okay. And I hope they do because they look cool, but. Yeah, the army blues that I had and the army greens that I had whenever I was in, I was just like, man, these are garbage. <laughs> but, uh, uh, shit, what was the question? Just if you ever thought of like going into any other branches. Yeah. So yeah, I thought about it. Uh, and, and I still stick to my decision to this day. Whenever I have a kid or a relative or somebody that says they're thinking about joining, I always tell them, well, what do you want first? Yep. And do and do you want options of upward progression, uh, upward progression? And I was like, the reason why I say that is because the Air Force, Navy, and Marines are all considerably smaller uh, branches than the Army. The Army right. has a ton, and now uh, the Army is almost on every single military base out there in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form as liaison, and also the number of jobs that you can get and switch to is a lot easier to do than it is in other branches because I know. The promotions in the Marines kind of move a little bit slower than yeah. they do, especially in the Army. Same thing for Air Force. You got to take all these tests. Uh, yeah. Navy is not that easy, to, you know, to keep going. And, uh, you know, I always tell them, I'm like, well, let's say you get in, you don't like your job. You know, it's, uh, you can always switch that easier in the Army. But, and that was kind of my take while I was in. I was able to change my job. I would have hated the Army if I had to stay, um, in artillery the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, Talk to me about, uh, you know, your first deployment, um, you know, what you went through, you know, probably around like 06, 07, you know, when it was. It was uh, all of 2007 into 2008. Right. Um, so we were at Fort Bragg. One of our units was, had just gotten home from a six-month deployment supporting an SF unit as their supporting fire. So they got trained on mortars. And so all those guys were already gone. So I was like the newbie. Yep. That was getting in. And well, I helped some of them ship off whenever I arrived. And I was like, can I go? And they're like, no, you didn't train up on this. So you got to stay rear D, you know? Yep. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. So I got to jump and did a lot of field training while I was, you know, in, in the back. And then all of a sudden those guys get back and they're like, oh, who are these new kids? You know? And they're like, you don't have no, you don't have no, uh, deployment patch. You'll have no combat patch. You're going to sweep the floor, you know? So I got the, I got the crap into <laughs> the stick on that. Yep. But luckily not, not for too long. Uh, because I think it was like December, we, my aunt called me out of the blue and she was like, I just heard 80 seconds deploying bushes, sending like a ton of 80 second for a surge. And I was like, what? And I was <laughs> like, well, we haven't heard anything. And then, uh, we, I get a phone call to go to my unit and all of us are sitting on the front lawn and our first sergeant goes, well, boys, we're going camping. 
He goes, in Iraq. And he goes, for probably 15 months. And we were like, what? He goes, now it's set right now is 12 months. He goes, but it's probably going to get extended. Oh, yeah. And we were like, ah, oh, man, you know, so we get ready to go and we, you know, we ship out. Um, I think it was January 2nd and they had just executed Saddam. I think the month prior or something like that. And so we're like, ah, yay, Iraq's going to be spicy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You know, cause, you know, things change. And, uh, so we get over there. We were at Camp Buring initially for like a week as we're like getting together. And then we went to, uh, Taji, uh, in Baghdad. We were there for probably a week or so. And then we got Chinooked out to, um, no, we flew a Blackhawk out of there to our Cobb, Cobb War Eagle, which is near Atamiya. It's um, not too far from Sadr City. Okay. And uh, so our mission was to live at this old Iraqi army building that we kind of took over and cleaned up, and then a police station that was further out in the middle of Baghdad so we can spread out our footprint. So it was about 30 minutes away from the biggest, any, the next biggest size military compound. So we were just living and sharing this police station with um, Iraqi police for the entire 15 months. So one platoon would pull JSS guard. Okay. And so we would like watch the gates. We'd put up sandbags, you know, pull security on the roof and stuff because we were getting mortared weekly uh ieds going off all the time around us um we would you know dead bodies arriving daily we would have to do the the, the hide system on their fingerprints and yep. you know ask you know interview people in the area like yeah, who did this you know what do you got trying to get intel out of them and uh so you would guard the base and do that detail for about a week and then you would go into a week of mounted and dismounted patrols uh throughout our ao whether that be escorting uh, Iraqi construction people so they can improve infrastructure without getting harassed by the, you know, the bad dudes out there. Right. And, uh, or just doing like soft knocks on houses, knocking, Hey, we're coming in, checking your house, you know, for weapons and stuff. Cause at the time, uh, each house I think was allowed to have one weapon for like self-defense, like an AK. Um, but if they like didn't tell us that they had it, you know, we just ended yeah. up finding it. You know, we were like, well, we're taking this now. You know what I mean? Like you can't have it. <laughs> And uh, we found this really cool AK one time that my unit actually did the paperwork for to send it back to Fort Bragg. It's a it's a silver plated AK like forty seven U, and it has like these yellow hand grips on it, and it's written in Arabic on the side. In Arabic, it says "Death to Coalition Forces" on it. <laughs> and so uh, we ended up. I, I got to shoot that one day uh, when we were there off the top of our JSS building. You know, we used to mess around sometimes, but. Uh, yeah, so just 15 months pulling guard, getting mortared, a um, little bit of small arm stuff here. And then we had a couple engagements that I got to be a part of that were pretty interesting. That was kind of like my uh, um, young man dream coming true, you know, actually being involved in a firefight and everything. And, yep. uh, you know, pulling up, people are, you know, shooting. I see bullets skipping off the ground. My sergeant, he uh what was it? Smoke Nick. Yeah. Shout out Smoke Nick. He's still out there. I think he retired. He's got this big old beard now. I think he lives up in Alaska, but I, he, he come running by and I'm, I'm behind the 240 in the gunner's nest and, and they're shooting. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? You know, where are they at? Where are they at? He's like, there's guys shooting on the building up there on the rooftop. And that was already covered. And I was like, all right, I'm going to pull security, you know, over here on this side and make sure nobody pops out of the window. And, uh, and then he looked back and he had this big old dip and he goes, 
we're in a firefight. And then he goes, just takes <laughs> off running, you know, and I was just laughing and, uh, I got, I got to throw a uh, smoke grenade that day. I didn't get to shoot anybody that day, uh, or anything, but it was, uh, it was exciting nonetheless. Uh, and unfortunately yep. one of, uh, we did have some, some casualties. We actually got called out there initially, uh, cause a Humvee with uh, a bunch of our guys in it, uh, got hit by a deep buried IED and it, uh, it hit from underneath and killed everybody. And, uh, there was grenades and ammo cooking off in the back of the truck as it was burning, uh-huh. you know, and, and, you know, their bodies were hanging out and that was hard to see. Yeah. And, um, I had a couple guys that were there with me that day that, um, that seen that same thing, you know, that I did, and it, you know, it affected them more than it affected me. Right. And I always, I always try to tell people that there, you know, they're like, you know, how come, you know, some people can, you know, be there. I'm like, well, it's, it's up to the individual, you know, right. I, whenever I got deployed, I assumed I was going to see, you know, and experience, you know, hard things like that. Right. And I don't know, I don't know if I prepared myself mentally better for it, but it didn't affect me long-term like it does some people. So I, I guess I'm lucky for that. Um, but or, you know, it still happened. <laughs> you know? Or maybe the am- uh, amnesia kicked in there for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually, I had the conversation with my wife the other day. I said, uh, you know, I have a crappy memory with some things and I'm like, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, maybe it keeps the bad shit from, uh, you know, affecting me more than, <laughs> in, uh, you know, it could. Yeah. And, uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so now you get back from your first deployment, and uh, how long was it be- between your like your, your your second and third deployment? How long was that? Uh, my second and third. So let's see here. So I went to Haiti after after that in 2010 okay. um, for the earthquake. So that was so I got back in 2008. So 2010. So about almost two years. Or so yep. and um, we only went to Haiti for about six weeks, but Haiti was a trip in itself because it was like. Uh, you know, it wasn't like Iraq, you know, it was, uh, we went over there, we, we brought guns, we brought all kinds of stuff. I mean, I could talk about, I could talk about the Haiti trip for a while, but, uh, <laughs> when we were, when we arrived, we were one of the first planes to arrive at Haiti and, uh, there was a news crews there. Anderson Cooper was there on the, on the airfield with us and Geraldo Rivera in Port-au-Prince <laughs> and they were all, their camera crews were going, well, we had 240 Bravo machine guns and boxes of ammo and stuff. Cause we were kind of there to help with security at the airport initially because yep. people were bombarding it, trying to get out of the country. Right. But the air, the airport was literally collapsing in some areas and they had no ground control. You got the attack uh, P guys from the air force, uh, guiding in like 10 or 15 airplanes from all around the world that were delivering supplies, wow. like trying to get them to land with no lights or anything. So they were like riding around on dirt bikes on the airfield, trying to guide <laughs> planes in and everything. Uh, so we slept on the airfield for a couple of nights and then, we ended up moving out to this resort um, in Port-au-Prince. I forget the name of the resort that we, we kind of purchased it from whoever owned it. We're like, Hey, we're moving in here. Yeah. And uh, so we slept on the tennis courts cause the buildings were compromised. So we were just sleeping on the tennis courts and our makeshift tents and everything that we had in cots. Yeah. And uh, Sean Penn was there with his organization called JPO. And I guess he was living out in, in Port-au-Prince or trying to set up a base camp, but crime was horrible and there was no security and he had like a 357 magnum gun that he brought with him for like protection <laughs> so and, and apparently he's a pacifist i don't know uh, but he had it on him yep. and i guess he came to talk to our commander that was in charge of the entire resort that we were living on and he's like hey can uh i live you know with you guys you know because <laughs> yep. it's real bad out there and our commander's like yeah sure he's like but you gotta you got to lock up your, your weapon with armor. And so like we had to take Sean Penn's gun from him and everything. And then, uh, 
And then it was funny because uh, we'd be out there kind of eat chow or whatever. And you could just smell weed coming from Sean Penn's camp <laughs> and uh, all the time. And he always had these like smoking hot, like Hollywood chicks with them and everything. Yep. And then uh, Jack, Jack Osborne uh, showed up to come like hang out with Sean Penn. And me and my sergeant got to give Jack Osborne a, a tour of our, like our camp and everything. And then wow. Jack Osborne's like, he's like, yeah, man, he's like, uh, all these Hollywood people always get so pissed at me because I'm into guns. And he goes, Hey, check out these pictures. And it was like him at like a shooting camp and he had like all these different guns. And he's like, yeah, he's like my, all my liberal Hollywood friends hate this, you know? And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. You know? And, uh, yeah. So, you know, that, that was interesting. And I, we got to see big and rich. One of my platoon sergeants almost got in a fight with big and rich. Apparently they were talking, they were talking crap. And, uh, Sergeant Gerba, the guy that was, uh, uh almost got in a, argument with him was was boiling <laughs> he was about to give it to him they, they were like what are you guys doing here carrying around your guns he's like we've been delivering this and that and we're like yeah we've been going to orphanages too man like like I don't know, what do you what do you want us to do and uh i, I guess he came back later and, and apologized but uh i heard he was pretty shit-faced <laughs> yeah yeah so Haiti, Haiti was a trip i actually got to experience a, a tremor for the first time I was, I was brushing my teeth, getting ready in the morning. And all of a sudden I got dizzy. I was like, what is going on? And then I realized I wasn't dizzy. It was, the ground was, it felt like it was rubber. And then the light poles were just moving and everybody just kind of stopped and looked at each other. And it was like, what is going on? And we're on a mountainside. You know? oh, so I'm like, this, this isn't cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I got in a, uh, uh, we had the deuce and a half down there driving around through Haiti and we were leaving ended up getting in a wreck, a pretty bad one. My platoon sergeant broke his back. Oh. Uh, our PL, our PL flew out of the back of the truck and got hurt. And uh, yeah, we were like, we were, we were going down this hill and it was just slick because the roads are just covered in trash and the driver couldn't stop. And like four different LMTVs hit and yeah, a couple of people were hurt and we were stuck out there for like in the middle of Port-au-Prince, Haiti for like three hours waiting on rides back and everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden this dude, this dude pulls up in a suburban, like blacked out suburban, civilian white guy yeah. has uh, has military comms on and a, and a vest on, and he's like, "Hey, you guys all right?" And we're like, "Yeah, like who who are you?" <laughs> and yeah. he's like, "He's like, well, we're special operations, blah blah blah. We're out here doing stuff." And I was like, <laughs> "And I was like, okay, cool." And he's like, "Yeah, I'll call up ahead, try to get you help, blah 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 blah." And we're like, "Thanks, dude." And he just drives off, and I was like, "You know." My theory behind this is if you were, you know, in a special cool guy group, let's say you had targets of opportunity in Haiti that maybe needed addressing, what better time to address these things other than when there's chaos going around? Yeah. You know, and I was like, I bet these guys are up to no good right now, and I'm down with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, then you go tell your buddies, I think I just saw Chuck Norris. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was basically <laughs> Chuck Norris. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So Haiti's fun. So if you have the listeners, if you have the opportunity to go to Haiti, it could be a fun deployment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah. it's, uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not pretty down there. It's really not. I mean, actually, it's pretty. We we got to go up in the mountains and uh, take some people to some, like, hospital. Like, they had missionaries out in the middle of nowhere up there. And higher up in the mountains, they didn't get affected by the earthquake that much. So, like, it's really actual beautiful scenery. But man, when you get down in the cities, it's it's, a, it's like a slum. It's like a favela, yeah. you know, down in uh, South America. And uh, they're pretty. Uh, this uh, I got to watch our medic. They had a medic tent, uh, birth like five babies, 
like, cause we just had a tent there and they had nowhere to go. So people with problems that got burned or their arms have been broken for like a week, you know, they're coming up there. I'm just hearing people scream from the tent while I'm eating chow. I'm like, Oh my God. I was like, this isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> so how long were you in Haiti for? Uh, about six weeks. Oh, yeah. that's not bad. No, it wasn't too bad. We, we, we crammed a lot of, uh, uh, activity into that that six weeks. Yeah, it, it was. I'm glad we went. You know, it was nice to get out of uh, Iraq. And I remember whenever I left Iraq the first time, I was like, "Man, that was a trip." I was like, "I'm never going to go back to Iraq." Yep. Fast forward a couple years later, I was back in Iraq. <laughs> yeah. So, how was your second deployment to Iraq? Was it kind of like the first, or was it completely different? Completely different. Um. Yep. So my second deployment, I was with my scout unit. So that was my first deployment to a combat zone with a scout unit. Um, and I got, we got to work out a lot. We went to the gym and we were in, um, Adam, not Adamia. It was an area that ISIS took over shortly after we pulled up of Iraq. It's a big old desert area. I have brain dumped so much of this stuff at this point. Yep. Um, but we were, we were at this base for a while. Yeah. I cannot remember the goddamn name of it. And I got tasked out to be part of PSD and Ramadi for uh, one of the generals there. So I got put on this PSD team, which turned out to be pretty dope because the rest of my scout unit, they were stuck pulling mind numbing route clearance guard. They would, you know, space out along a route and yep. just provide security, make sure nobody was placing IDs and stuff so they could move in and out. Meanwhile, I got to fly, you know, Blackhawks more than I ever did my first appointment, which I flew quite a few times my first appointment. But uh, my second appointment, that's all we did, you know, just flying around, uh, escorting these generals and got a couple coins, come nice. back, go to the gym, get chow, wake up in the morning. Nope, no mission today. All right. looks like I'm working out three times, you know, yep. you got to go uh, chill for quite a while. So I really didn't, didn't see any action, but I got to do a lot of cool shit compared to everybody else that was uh, – you know, just sitting in, in up-armored Humvees. <laughs> <laughs> Driving around. Okay, so now, you know, so you get back from your, your, your third deployment, and now you're probably getting close to getting out, right, time-wise? Uh, no, so I was, I still had some time left on my uh, re-enlistment that I, so I re-enlisted again uh, after I got back, and... Shortly after, well, I was planning on going to a uh, jumpmaster school, so I was studying for that. And there's a you know a lot of studying you got to do for jumpmaster school, which you know, and if you stay in the 82nd any number of you know years, eventually they're going to expect you to go to jumpmaster school because they need them. There was a shortage, right? And so I started training for that, and then I got an email, and it was like, "Hey, guess what? You're going to uh, recruiting." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." Okay, I don't, I don't want that because yeah. I was like, I, I like shooting guns and jumping out of airplanes. That's, that's what I, I had no desire right. to go recruiting at all. So I go to recruiting school. Now, keep in mind, my wife is nearing the end of her pregnancy for my second, uh, well, for my third kid, my last. Yeah. And uh, you have to take some tests in recruiting school, and they're actually not easy tests. A lot of people fail out of these schools. Well, my wife was giving birth the day that I was taking my last test in recruiting school. And if I failed it, then I would have had to go back to Fort Bragg, miss my daughter's birth, all for nothing. Yep. And uh, luckily, I passed by a half a freaking point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I get a phone call. Hey, your daughter's born. Now, I'm in South Carolina. 
My car had broken down the week prior. I had a Harley that I drove from North Carolina down to Fort Jackson to do recruiting. I wow. get done with the test. I change. And keep in mind, my Harley, I mean, I had a... a ape, ape hangers? Yeah, I had ape hangers and everything. And, and I'm riding down the highway for like four hours at like max speed trying to get home. Yep. And I finally make it to the hospital, got to see my daughter and everything. And then, uh, so I passed recruiting school. Everything's good to go. I processed out of Fort Bragg. And then, um, like I said, whenever I was in airborne or whenever I was in recruiting school, I made the phone call to move back home to my hometown, yep. which doesn't happen that often. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, recruiters normally do not get stationed back in their hometown. And usually it's for a good reason because guys will come home and they'll get involved with their old shitty friends and, yep. you know, end up, you know, doing a bunch of bad stuff. <clears throat> but luckily I said, I think because I had kids and, and I was a little bit older than that, then the sergeant major is like, actually, I'm not worried about it, which, there was nothing to worry about, but, yeah. um, Sergeant Major, I have no friends anyway, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got no issues. Yeah. 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 So I got into the recruiting thing. I hated it at first. And I mean, I hated it when I left, but I got to learn, I guess, uh, more of the kind of like networking. Cause I had to go to different schools, businesses, talk to principals, you know, I kind of got that business side out. Yep. And, um, I also got my start with social media on that. And my uh, center commander, I'm still friends with him today, uh, Sergeant Doe, uh, Doe, uh, Kevin Croson, actually, is his last name. I think he, I think he changed it. Uh, but he's in, he's in medical recruiting now somewhere up in the Northeast, I believe. Uh, shout out to uh, Sergeant Doe. Yep. Um, but he got me into the social media thing with, he's like, hey, you know, let's post on Facebook, try to get some recruits from that. I got most of my recruits from Facebook. I, would, I started my own account as Sergeant Phibbs. I friended kids at the high schools whenever I'd meet them and I would hop on there, post army stuff. I'd write them and, you know, you have to get contact with everybody at every school you go to. And so I'm checking them off my list by talking to them on Facebook. Hey, you ever thought about the army? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I got a lot of, I got a lot of recruits from that. Um, so uh, that was a good takeaway, I think from, uh, army recruiting, but it came time to either, you know, get ready to PCS to a different place or just get out. And I was like, you know, I'm already home. I spent so much time away from my, uh, you know, wife and kids. And, you know, I was like, you know what? I kind of lost the passion for it. I I lost the the motivation. And I was like, you know, I think it's time for that next chapter of my life. And, uh, and I'm glad I got it out. I'm glad I got out. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's tough. I mean, you know, being a paratrooper going through all that and then, you know, however long you're a recruiter, that would be, that would be hard. That would be, yeah. And then try yeah. to get back into it. And, I mean, everybody out there does it. There's a lot of people that do it, but, um, yeah, that's tough. So, so now, you, so now you're doing recruiter stuff and now you're getting out. Now you're, is that when you're like, you know what? I'm going to stay into this marketing thing because I'm actually pretty good about it. Good with it. Well, I, I wanted to jump right into it professionally and I, and I was helping out some of my friends on the side, one of my artist buddy and another buddy of mine that has his video production company that he does. And I was kind of just giving them tips and posting for them sometimes and, you know, when they went, when they went to events, I would record some footage for them. Um, but is it vet TV? No, 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 no. Oh, damn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, my, uh, my buddy, he's got a company. It's called uh, the unseen stars. And it started out as kind of going to highlight local talent, local, interesting people, artists, music, stuff like that. But now he's transferred more to like of a, like video production. Like if you're a local business that needs a video made, he can make a, you know, commercial quality video for a lot cheaper than what you can normally get it. And it's locally owned and all that. So, you know, helped him out. And then, um, I got a call from a 
IT recruiter company uh, called Beacon Hill. And they were like, hey, you ever thought about IT recruiting? And I was like, no, not really. And then like, well, let's, you know, well, let's tell you about it. And they're like, well, you can earn commission. You got base pay. You know, yeah. it's a businessy job, you know? And I was like, man, I didn't think I was going to get anything like that because I kind of thought about, uh, you know, joining the police or something like that after I got out with my combat background. And I would have been able to forego police academy, I think, in the state of Illinois because I'm an Iraq veteran and a bunch of other cool little perks that you could get. Uh, But now looking back, especially with today's climate and uh, my views have honestly changed on a lot of things politically um, since I did get out. And uh, so I'm glad I never went the police route, but um, I ended up getting into the business world, which little did I know my time in recruiting kind of helped me out with that because I was better with talking with people. I asked my wife, she says I can convince her to do just about anything just from talking. And that's kind of my, that's my shtick because I like to talk. (laughs) I'm honest with people. I'm not like a, a I'm not a BS salesperson. I may, I try to be as genuine as possible with everything I say and do because in the end, that's what's going to get you referrals. That's when you're going right. to make other business connections. That's how you should be with friends too. You know what I mean? Be, Absolutely. Be genuine. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of what I did. I did IT recruiting for a little while, but uh, it wasn't what I wanted. I started getting burnt out on that. And I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there, redid my resume to really show what I've done marketing wise. And the company I'm with now kind of took a chance on me and they're a, they're a mid-sized trucking company. Uh, but I run the entire gambit of their marketing from billboards to digital marketing to content creation, video creation. And they give me a lot of freedom, you know, which is for a guy that doesn't have any college um, and and hardly any experience, you know, they took a chance on me and uh, I'm loving it there. I've been there almost two years now and I hope to be there, you know, quite a bit longer. (laughs) Perfect. I'm glad you, you found it. Um, yeah, I'm not good at marketing. Uh, I'm learning it from the, the, the podcast here, but it uh, yeah, definitely yeah. takes a lot of time out of you. I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to, you know, get guests and, and market the podcast. Yeah. But well, I, I tell a lot of small business owners whenever I'm I'm trying to get their business, I always tell them, you know, okay, you're running a business. You have so much work to do, and a lot of them are like, oh, well, I, you know, I kind of run my own social media. I'm like, well. Instead of whole assing one thing, you're going to half ass a couple things. And yeah. that's, that's the perk of bringing somebody else on to at least get you set up right or even to just make small postings and make sure you're marketed correctly. Cause a lot of small business owners don't know tricks like with, uh, Google ads, uh, yeah. Google my business, actually making your business searchable. So many people don't have it properly set up and yep. they don't have that tied into their Facebook page. They don't have an Instagram page, which they're like, well, I'm never on Instagram. I'm like, so what? You can tie them together. So every time you post on Instagram, it also posts on Facebook. Yep. You know, you can kill two birds with one stone, reach yep. a larger audience. You don't have to be on Twitter if you don't want to. Twitter is not good for a lot of people, but right. it could be good depending on your industry and what you're pushing. Yep. Um, and just a lot of people don't take advantage of it. So, I mean, if you, if you own a small business out there, um, you know, look into it a little bit because it doesn't take much to run a promoted Facebook ad. You, right, know, you, you make right. a post, put $10 toward it, target an area like your hometown, see what happens. You know, you're, you're going to reach more people. Facebook purposely doesn't let you reach people because they know you're going to pay that ad money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? If you really want to reach people, you're going to pay that ad money. Or you're just going to go and start Google or Facebooking names and just friend requesting everybody on there. But Yeah, and I'm actually pretty happy. Uh, I don't know if you heard recently, Facebook's looking at being split up. Uh, the U.S. government saying they're they're uh, breaking antitrust laws and they're going to have to 
not becoming a, a monopoly in the industry. Yeah. So they're, they're talking about splitting up Instagram from Facebook and their WhatsApp and making yeah. them separate companies. And I'm like, you know, I'm not a big fan of uh, government telling private businesses what to do, but also at the same time, social media is such a new thing that, yeah. that I don't know if we can just classify it as a private business because right. it, it affects so much. It, it's information dissemination. Uh, it's, it's, even if it's a private company, it's highly used more so than, you know, news networks now. Right. And, you know, when those companies start throttling what information can and can't be seen, you know, that starts creeping on, you know, freedom of speech. But then again, yep. they're like, well you, well, you can't call First Amendment issues because it's a private company. And yep. I'm like, I, I get that, but I don't <laughs> like it. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, you, when you're telling people they can't post things because of their political beliefs or anything like that. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you bring up Facebook. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, the real guy that, that started Facebook um, before he sold it to um, that picklehead-looking guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> forgot his name, but uh, the, the real birth for Facebook was literally for military only. Really? Yeah, they wanted it so where there was a platform where, you know, if you're in Massachusetts like I am, and you have somebody that's in Japan or something like that. They just wanted a mm -hmm. like a MySpace idea, but they wanted it just for military only, and it just yeah. blew up. And then he sold it for like <laughs> six, like billions of dollars and everything else. And that's when all the ads started coming. And you know, it's you know they have already admitted it. Like they team up with Google and stuff like that. But the only oh, thing yeah. I don't like. Well, so I had to sit through a Google um, class. So I'm certified by Google um, for Google search ads. Mm -hmm. And so I, I haven't seen that um, social media documentary. What is it called? The one that just came out not that long ago. Oh, it was, uh, oh man. So it came out. So everybody that's watching it, they're like, oh, it's so sad. Like it makes you see how social media is, you know, super intrusive and all this stuff. And everybody thinks it's magic when you're scrolling your feed. And, you know, you mentioned yesterday that you were thinking about getting a dirt bike and all of a yep. sudden you're seeing dirt bikes pop up and everybody's like, oh, it's magic. It's not, nah, though. It's it, not it's at a, all. <laughs> all it is is algorithms yep. reading your behavior on yep. not only Facebook, but the entire Internet, because Google yep. has their fingers in almost every device, yep. every platform. It pulls information yep. and it's uh, it's yeah, it's kind of intrusive, but it's also not as diabolical i think as some people think it is <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but i wanted to uh so before the show we were talking and everything else and you had said something to me and i'm you know i'm all the way through this episode i'm, I'm kind of like where do i want to put it and i think right here is gonna be a good good spot to put it but um i'd like you to touch my listeners out there and uh tell them what uh turning a new chapter yeah is you know what's that mean to you Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, like I was saying, um, everybody that serves, a lot of people, a lot of people that serve, uh, they kind of, it definitely becomes a part of you. You know, it's a part of your history. It, it helps shape who you are today, whether it be through your thought process, you know, how you interact with people, you know, perseverance, uh, diligence, you know, that mentality of being a soldier. You know, I feel like that sticks with a lot of us afterwards. Uh, but I, like I, you know, I have seen a lot of people that almost make it a part of their identity a hundred percent going forward, you know, whether it be, that's all they talk about. Um, or, you know, they, yeah, they might have PTSD or they might have issues, but then 
everything that goes wrong in their life, they, you know, they can use that as a scapegoat, um, you know, saying, you know, oh, I'm like this because this happened. Okay. Well, that, that happened to you in your last chapter. Right. You know what I mean? And, it, and you can still remember it and it can still affect you, but, you know, figure out who, who else you are besides a soldier or besides a Marine, besides an airman, you know, besides a seaman out there and, and, and figure out what you want to become um, and figure out what you can do, what piques your interest outside of veteran military things yep. um, is because sometimes distancing yourself from that community and finding something else you can become passionate about can help speed up. I think that healing process for a lot of people, but also it helps you become more of a well-rounded person. Like, you know, like I got into marketing, you know, I'm in, I'm into a lot of prepping. I like yep. uh, survival stuff. And, and I got that from the military, yep. but I use it more so now as uh, something else to focus on, you know, instead of collecting stamps, uh, you know, which I guess stamps could appreciate in value. But like I tell my wife, whenever I buy a new piece of prepping material, you know, she's like, oh, you know, your stupid hobby. I'm like, well, my stupid hobby can can and does become useful when we go camping where we need to survive. Right. I was like, imagine if I just blew all my money on stamps, you know, that wouldn't be very <laughs> useful. Um, but having something else you can get passionate about, like, you know, right now I'm hopping on, you know, a lot of different podcasts. I'm trying to post, you know, some some borderline controversial things. Uh, I actually got a little story about that. Facebook deleted my entire um, Facebook account without warning, without anything wow. uh, back in, back in July. Um, Cause uh, I'm involved in a lot of Liberty groups basically. Okay. Um, and uh, they didn't like the things I was saying. And uh, like they, they, they didn't give me a warning, you know, on Facebook, you can get like a 30 day ban, a couple day ban. Yep. I was on it and I use it for work. That's the messed up thing. I run my company's pages off Facebook. That's tied to my main profile, you know? Yep. And, uh, they, the screen went blank and then uh, I couldn't log in and there was just nothing. It was just gone. And then, uh, they didn't give me a warning and it turned out it happened to 280 other people that day that Facebook was targeting that were either Joe Jorgensen supporters, or they were involved with the Boogaloo, or they were uh, any number of things. Yeah, and I just posted pro liberty stuff. I'm like, and like I'm a libertarian. You know, I'll say that. Like, I don't. I used to be full on conservative Republican, but uh, you know, slowly over time, I'm like, what do I? What do I really care about the most? And <laughs> yeah. uh, and for me, and I find it hard to argue with is just freedom and liberty. Yeah, like like don't take people's stuff and don't hurt them. Right. That's the biggest thing and guns and individual liberty. Like you should be able to do what you want. Right. And, and that's kind of, that's my next chapter after I got out of the military was kind of being a mouthpiece for, you know, freedom and liberty and showing people, you don't have to have this tribalism. You don't have to have left versus right. right. Like, yeah, America is split. But what if, what <laughs> if we, we kind of met in the middle and made some concessions a little bit? Right. That could help us all live together, and that—that's—that's that's why I like the the liberty movement and that community because people are just way more. Oh, hey, that's that's what you're into. Cool, man. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. Yep. You know what I mean? Like exactly. that's the way it should be. Like people got are always telling people like wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Oh, I can do this or <laughs> you know blah, blah blah. I'm like, hey, I want my gay pot farmers to protect their crops with guns. Yeah. That's the world I want to live in. Nailed it. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, but some people don't like that. Some people think they have the right to, to tell other people what to do. And, and I, yeah. and I think that's just fundamentally wrong, you know? Right. But yeah, that's my next chapter. I mean, if, if, uh, you know, you're, you're 
feeling down or you feel like you're stuck in that military cycle of, you know, bad stuff happened to me. And I'm, you know, I'm doing that. Try to break out of it, find something else. Yep. And, uh, cause there's more to life than just being a veteran. Absolutely. There's a lot, more, there's a lot more to life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's about me. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, you said that to me before the show and I'm like, wow, that's a hundred percent true. You know, you, you, you had a, you know, your life was, you know, chapter one before the military. You make that mm-hmm. commitment. You take, you stand up, you take that oath and now you're in chapter two and then chapter three is you get out. But every chapter is, you, you know, don't look back at what you did and stuff like that. Just keep pushing forward and, and be, yeah. be who you are today is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, be who you are. And I mean, I think most of us military veterans have been told it once or twice while we were in service, but stop finding excuses, you know, stop finding excuses for, you know, why you feel this way or, you know, bad stuff happened to me or, you know, and all that. You gotta, either you gotta grow from it or you're just going to be stuck in it. Right. And then nobody, nobody wants to be stuck in it, you know? Right. (laughs) Well, Gary, I want to say, hey, thanks for being on the show. I mean, it was funny. It was a good episode. I liked it. Uh, I think the, list, the listeners will like it. I mean, the, the paratroopers. I was like I said, I was ecstatic. I was like, oh, I got a paratrooper. I mean, you know, a guy that's jumping out of a train, out of a plane. You know, <laughs> like my grandfather well, said, good. "What kind of blooming idiot are you?" But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and you know, the paratrooper community is something special. Uh, you know, they're always. Uh, I'll give a shout out to all the airborne guys, and and we're. Um, they're very innovative and resilient. Like uh, when, when you jump onto uh, a drop zone, whether it's your first day at the unit as a private or you've been in the unit for however long, you have nobody telling you what to do when you hit that ground. You got to find where your rally point is. You're by yourself under night vision. You just jumped out of an airplane. And uh, to me, it takes a special type of person to do that. And let, let's say there was a two-story building. You had no ladder. You have four airborne privates and you tell them, I want you to get this flag on top of that building in the next three minutes. They will find a way to do it. Yep. You may not want to watch and see how <laughs> they get up there, but it'll get done. And, yep. that, and that's, that's to me, the spirit of the, the airborne community. It gets, they get it done. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, once again, thank you, Gary, for coming on the show. Um, been honored and hopefully, you know, my listeners enjoyed it too. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to share it. I'll get it out there and shoot it amongst all my guys. So maybe I can, uh, uh net you uh, a few more listeners. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And some guests too. Like I said, I'm always looking for guests. Um, no matter what you did in, in service, you know, I don't, I don't care. I don't care what branch you are. Um, even the coast guard, you know, I'll have, a, I haven't had a coast guard yet. So yeah, you need, you need to get a space force person on here. I have. I have. I oh, gotta, what? What? Yep. Oh, yeah, man. Chuck. Okay. I, I, Chuck. I, I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to listen to that one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He. Uh. That was like back. I want to say maybe last February, March or so. But a couple episodes back, Chuck. Yep. He. Uh. He's a. He's Space Force. Um. Was he? Was he prior Air Force and kind of got reclassed into it? Or. Yep. Yeah. So he got you know prior Air Force. He got reclassed into it. And he's an officer in there or something. And uh, it was a good episode. Um. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I have to give that one a listen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and hopefully uh, everybody, I mean, this episode is probably going to air after Christmas, so hopefully everybody had a good Christmas. Everybody got some 5.56 and some new ARs. Oh, man, Night Mail is hard to find right now. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was making a joke <laughs> with my buddy. Uh, <laughs> you know, we were having a, 
a joke or whatever, and I told him, I was like, you know what's bad is uh, when you have, like, a little, like, rape ban or something like that, and all yeah. you have to do is now is put, like, <laughs> not free 9 mil or 5.56. Five, five, <laughs> yeah. You know, just oh, park man, it, you'll find hard, all the... It's hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, uh, yeah, listeners, once again, thanks for tuning, tuning in to another episode, and AmericanVetPodcast.com. Get a hold of me there. I'm on the Facebook, Instagram, and uh, TikTok, and uh, you can find me everywhere. And uh, you can email me at Dave at AmericanVetPodcast.com. And, Gary, once again, thank you for your service. Thank you for coming out and uh, making me wish I was paratrooper now because you had definitely <laughs> had a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Dave. Hey, maybe we can do it again sometime. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, listeners, stay tuned for the outro. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.